Welcome to Mayo Clinic Pharmacy Grand Rounds, a weekly podcast for pharmacists, physicians, physician assistants, and nurse practitioners who are interested in learning more about clinical pharmacology topics. I'm your host, Sarah Thompson, Director of Pharmacy Education and Academic Affairs at Mayo Clinic. To claim pharmacology CE credit, or to get a copy of presentation slides, visit ce.mayo.edu slash pharmacy podcast. In the U.S., health disparities exist for minority populations, including higher prevalence of disease, mortality rates, and poor responses to medications. Genetic variation is thought to explain a portion of these differences. Pharmacogenomics, or the study of the impact of genetic variation on drug response, aims to identify these effects to optimize drug therapy and development. Despite recent expansion of the field, the majority of genetic studies are conducted in patients of European and Asian descent, further widening the gap of health disparity within precision medicine. Pharmacist Serena Mitali will review the current state of pharmacogenomic variation between populations, identify key clinically relevant areas in which disparity exists for pharmacogenomics, and discuss strategies to improve the utility and translatability of pharmacogenomics for all populations. I'm very excited to talk about a topic that is near and dear to my heart. So today we will be looking at diversity, particularly within pharmacogenomics. <laughs> so our learning objectives for today, first I'd like us to be able to identify the inequity that currently exists across different populations for pharmacogenomics. I'd like us to be able to look at current literature for specific scenarios or gene drug pairs in which minority patients are at a higher risk of lack of benefit with pharmacogenomics. And then lastly, I'd like us to be able to come together and discuss what are some possible strategies in the future to help bridge the gap that currently exists. Before we go ahead and dive into the health disparities that currently exist within pharmacogenomics, it's important to have an understanding of what is pharmacogenomics and why is it important. So in the simplest terms, pharmacogenomics is the study of genes that may impact medication therapy in terms of efficacy or side effects. Based on these genes, we can then use this information to help guide medication therapy based on clinical guideline recommendations. So for our clinical guidelines, we do have several, but some of our most popular include CPIC, or the Clinical Pharmacogenetics Implementation Consortium, the Dutch Pharmacogenetics Working Group, as well as PharmGKB, which is our pharmacogenomics knowledge base. And this is a resource that pulls in from multiple different guidelines, so it's a great tool. So one of the main challenges that exists in pharmacogenomics right now is how do we identify human genetic variation? Well, currently, we use a model called geographical clustering patterns, and these are based on analyses from the Human Genome Diversity Project, and this is what we currently see in our clinical guidelines. This example here is from CPIC. It's important to recognize that these patterns are a broad classification of different frequencies of currently known variations, and these do not classify human diversity as a whole. So in other words, this is the best that we have right now, but it is nowhere near perfect. And some things that we can see, particularly within the Americas, because of the intermingling between different populations over many different years, we actually see a unique genetic profile from the Americas, and it shows this intermingling that has happened. So it's a great tool. It's the best that we have right now, but it is nowhere near accounting for all of the differences within human diversity as a whole. So in addition to population genetics cited within our guidelines, 
there are various definitions that are used to describe diversity within our health systems. So the main three that we'll be looking at today are race, ethnicity, and ancestry. So when I think about race, race is referring to our physical attributes. So when you look at someone, what do they look like? With ethnicity, this is referring to specific cultural factors. So what is that person's language, their religion, their social practices that make them who they are? And lastly, ancestry is our only definition that is really classifying the biological information. So ancestry is looking at an individual's genes as they've been passed down from their ancestors. So when we think about applying these definitions to our health system, there are various challenges and limitations for implementation into clinical practice. Primarily, race and ethnicity do not describe genetic variation and genetic ancestry, but they are the most commonly recorded definition for patient demographics within our current electronic health records. Additionally, most of the time, these are likely to be self-reported by patients, and these are based on cultural and physical characteristics. And these may or may not be congruent with a patient's true genetic ancestry. Now, as we move into how do we apply these definitions, or what is the purpose of pharmacogenomics research? So with our pharmacogenomics research, we are looking to identify what are the significant genetic variations within all different populations that may possibly impact their medication therapy. So these significant ge genetic variations are also known as SNPs or single nucleotide polymorphisms. And SNPs currently account for most of the known differences in our DNA. Currently, our SNPs are categorized online within the Pharmacogenetic Variation Consortium, or PharmVar. So this is a great resource for <laughs> to have genetics and wanted to look and see if a current SNP has been categorized. We find SNPs by evaluating the entire genome of populations, and this is also known as a Genome-Wide Association Study, or a GWAS. Through these studies, we can identify those common genetic variants in individuals that have a similar response to medication therapy. Now, although there have been close to almost 4,000 of these studies completed to date, the vast majority of populations that are studied are those of European ancestries. And we can see by looking at some of our large databases, the percentages for the number of patients of European ancestry is between 75 to 95%. Now, when we think about the entire world's population, this is highly discordant with what we see across the world. So we know that currently around 76% of all people in the world reside in Asia or Africa. However, our data is primarily not coming from here. So within Africa, numerous genome-wide studies have shown that the African genome is highly diverse, even more so than some of our European counterparts. And it's thought that this is due to the Pan-African human model. Pan-African meaning all from Africa. So when we think about the theory of evolution, we theorize that the human population originated within Africa and then spread from there. So this model shows that as human populations migrate out of Africa, they carry some but not all of the original ancestral genetic variants. So given the long demographic history and the variability even within and between African populations, we can see here that studies have shown significantly more variations are there to analyze than we see with European. And I won't go through all of these, but I think 
One of the most poignant is with the Human Hereditary and Health in Africa initiative, looking at 426 whole gene sequences, and they found over 3 million novel variants. So despite the vast genetic diversity that we see within African populations, current meta-analyses show a consistent trend of European GWAS studies accounting for 80 to 95% of the available literature, with African populations accounting for less than 5%, sorry, less than 0.5%. So while in recent years, both African-American and Afro-Caribbean population studies have increased to some degree over time, Overall, they're still accounting for less than 5% of all the data that we have. Okay, so we're gonna go ahead and move into our first question, which I'm blocking a little, so I'll move. Um, so you can go ahead and either respond online at Poll Everywhere or text Mayo RX 22333. The question is, which of the following genetic ancestry groups is associated with the highest rates of genetic diversity? So our options are A, Hispanic Latino, B, East Asia, C, Oceana, and D, African. And I'll just give a few seconds because I'm hoping this is a straightforward question. Okay, so out of everyone who answered, you are all 100% correct. It is within African populations. So why are the other answers wrong? As we just saw in our meta-analyses, the numbers, I'm sorry, not in our meta-analyses, as we saw from looking at some of the genomic data, we see greater than 3 million variants within African populations. And we haven't shown nearly the same degree of magnitude within our other populations. So that is why D is the correct answer. So in summary, our current clinical recommendations are usually based on race or ethnicity, and these are typically poor markers of a patient's true genetic ancestry. African ancestry groups in particular have been shown to be highly diverse, even among different populations within Africa. And despite this, the majority of our current GWAS studies that are used to help develop our clinical guidelines are conducted in populations of European or East Asian descent. So next, I'd like to go ahead and start talking about the clinical impact of some of these disparities. So I'd like to highlight the role of pharmacogenomics within cardiovascular disease, or as I'll be referring to it, CVD. So CBD is the leading cause of death within the U.S. throughout all populations, but it is particularly high within patients of African ancestry. This is thought to be due, at least in part, to the increased prevalence of significant cardiovascular risk factors that we see here. But this can also include various socioeconomic considerations, one of the main being just a general reduced access to care. Additionally, when we look at the clinical research done within CVD. These are primarily conducted in patients of European ancestry. So one example of a highly used anticoagulant within pharmacogenomics implementation is warfarin. Worldwide, it continues to be the most widely prescribed oral anticoagulant as it is significantly lower in cost than our newer non-vitamin K antagonists or NOAC medications. As it is a narrow therapeutic index medication, both the risk of major toxicity being bleeding or clotting from lack of efficacy are high, even with small dosing changes. Historically, what we've seen is that patients of African descent show an increased incident of major bleeding events as compared to their European counterparts. And this is partially likely due to the higher doses of warfarin that we typically see used to target a therapeutic INR. So what factors make warfarin dosing so challenging? 
So in addition to the individual differences in body habitus, our sex, height, what foods we eat, our alcohol consumption, use of cigarettes, and various drug-drug interactions, genetic variations in key enzymes and drug targets also impact dosing variability with warfarin. In particular, certain alleles, alleles meaning genetic differences, can explain almost half of the individual variability we see in dosing requirements for patients of European ancestry. However, how do these variants apply when we look at patients of African ancestry? So the table below illustrates the difference in the frequency of key genetic variants related to warfarin therapy between African-Americans and European-Americans. And it also discusses what are the possible clinical consequences associated with having each of these variants. So the investigators observed that only 52% of all of these SNPs were common in both populations. And of those common SNPs, 22% were found only in patients were African-American versus 5% were found only in European-Americans. And additionally, up to 36% of these single nucleotide polymorphisms were significantly different between the two populations. So as I've highlighted in green, we can see between certain variants, the differences between African-American and European-American is large. So when we think about applying the pharmacogenomics of warfarin clinically to our patients, we do have clinical guidelines. The one I've pulled in here is from CPIC, and these guidelines account for the difference in genetic variation frequencies within their recommendations. So this is a complex figure, and this can be referenced within the CPIC guideline for more detail or further recommendations. But what I'd like to get out of this diagram for us are just the following key points. The first key points is that pharmacogenomics guidelines for warfarin dosing are different between those of African or non-African ancestry. Two, current pharmacogenomic dosing algorithms are only strongly recommended for those of non-African ancestry. Three is that pharmacogenomic dosing algorithms for patients of African ancestry should only be used if additional CYP2C9 variants are tested for. So if these are not tested for, the algorithm points you to just dose as you normally would clinically. And then four, pharmacogenomic dosing algorithms for patients of African ancestry are not strongly recommended. So as we can see, they are either moderate or optional, and neither are strong as they are with the European side. And we will be able to explain why this is by reviewing some of the literature surrounding using pharmacogenomics dosing algorithms. <laughs> so one of the first warfarin pharmacogenomics dosing guideline algorithms was the UPAC study, and this was done in 2013. So some key highlights from this study is that all patients were European. They all had atrial fibrillation or history of venous thromboembolism. Pharmacogenomics testing was limited to the key variants only found in European populations, and the primary outcome that they measured was percentage of time in therapeutic range, which I will refer to as PTTR, during the first 12 weeks of use with warfarin. So what they found is that average PTTR in the incidence of supertherapeutic INRs and time to reach therapeutic INR were all significantly improved by using a pharmacogenomics dosing algorithm in these European patients. So following the UPAC trial, several other trials evaluated use of a pharmacogenomics algorithm to dose warfarin. In contrast to the positive results of UPACT, 
The COAG trial, also in 2013, found that patients of African ancestry in particular responded significantly worse with using pharmacogenomics dosing algorithms. And these results completely contrasted the findings from UPAC. So we see lower PTTRs, more supertherapeutic INRs, and increased time to reach therapeutic INRs. Later, the GIF trial, again, was able to show benefit with use of pharmacogenomics-based dosing, with the caveat that around 90% of patients included identified as white. With both of these trials, neither included key variants found mostly in African patients. And this really highlights the importance of including these genetic variants more commonly found in non-white populations when using pharmacogenomic dosing to guide patients of African descent. <coughs> All right, so it's time for our second question. It's a little baby case. So you have a patient of African ancestry who presents for a new start of warfarin for atrial fibrillation. They have had previous pharmacogenomics testing completed that evaluated CYP2C9 star two and star three variants only. Based on this information, how would you dose the patient? So our first option is to calculate a warfarin dose based on current PGX guidelines. Two is to dose the patient clinically. Three is to empirically decrease the warfarin starting dose based on their ethnicity. And the fourth is to empirically increase the warfarin dose based on their ethnicity. Okay, I actually, I really like that we're getting different answers because this is a really great opportunity to review and talk about what we've learned. So the correct answer is actually B, to dose the patient clinically. So when we go through all of our different options, the reason that A is not the correct answer is because this pharmacogenomics test only looked at CYP2C9 star 2 and star 3. So I didn't explicitly say the star alleles, but the star 2 and star 3 are the two most traditionally seen in European populations. And within the CPIC guidelines, they recommend only using our dosing guidance if we have the additional variants. So they include star five, six, eight, but they have to include more than only star two and star three. So that is why A is not the correct answer. Um, C, empirically decreasing the warfarin starting dose based on ethnicity. At least within our pharmacogenomics guidelines, we don't recommend to empirically change a warfarin dose solely based on the patient's reported ethnicity. So that is why both C and D would be incorrect. So in summary, with warfarin and pharmacogenomics, as we can see, the majority of our current research is conducted in patients of European ancestry, as well as some Han Chinese. There are key differences in some of these minor allele frequencies that influence warfarin response between African-American and European populations. And our current pharmacogenomics dosing guidelines that have been shown to work well in European ancestry <laughs> patients perform poorly when we try to apply them to patients of African descent. And the existing pharmacogenomics evidence for warfarin we currently have does not reflect diversity and may potentially exacerbate health inequalities, especially perhaps in the case where we were to use a pharmacogenomics guided algorithm where it would be inappropriate and we're not looking for those additional variants, we may see poorer outcomes. And then lastly, I did just want to touch on one other relevant gene drug pair, and this is tacrolimus and CYP3A5. Although the majority of European patients have no function of the CYP3A5 enzyme, 
it's highly involved in the metabolism of tacrolimus. Given that tacrolimus clinical trials were conducted primarily in patients of European descent, our current standard dosing recommendations are based upon the assumption that the individual will likely have little to no function of CYP3A5. Therefore, when we see patients who have intermediate to normal function of CYP3A5, which is 50 to 20% of African ancestry patients respectively, tacrolimus is then metabolized to a greater extent, and this can result in higher rates of acute organ rejections. So this led to clinical guideline recommendations, which recommend to increase the starting dose by 1.5 to two times of the normal starting dose if a patient is an intermediate or normal metabolizer. So with this and the warfarin, it really highlights to us that we have clinically relevant genetic differences between populations, and this can either help guide the choice or the dose of drug therapy to improve patient outcomes. So lastly, how can we bridge the gap that currently exists? So one of the key barriers in pharmacogenomics implementation for patients of African ancestry is just the lack of clinical research that identifies unique genetic variants <clears throat> that can potentially impact response to medications. Thankfully, within the last 20 years or so, various initiatives have been created to help build and expand upon research of African genomes to help overcome this barrier that we have. Um, I won't be going into the specifics for each and every initiative, but I think just for us as clinicians, it's important to know that these exist and how you can advocate for your patients of African ancestry by either supporting or participating in any of these current groups that exist. Of these, there is one that I would like to highlight, and this is the ACCOUNT or the African American Cardiovascular Pharmacogenetic Consortium of 2016. So their focus is by looking at new or novel variants, particularly within African Americans, related to cardiovascular phenotypes and being able to incorporate what they find into clinical recommendations at the point of care. So their goal or their clinical question that they try to answer with their research is the following. Are the known European predictors of drug response adequate to predict drug response in African Americans or new population-specific predictors needed to guide therapy for African Americans? So to answer this question, the account group aims to recruit African American patients on either warfarin, ANOAC, or clopidogrel, and they then hope to look at whole genome testing to be able to identify the significant genetic variants as they relate to cardiovascular drug response. With this data, they then plan to develop clinical implementation studies to see if there is possible benefit of using pharmacogenomic-guided medication therapy at the point of care. So of note, we can see that there are several large academic institutions that are involved within this research. So just to name a few around us, we see the University of Chicago, University of Illinois, as well as Stanford University. And then while including African patients in genetic research studies is critical, another really important barrier to consider is the historical mistreatment of these patients in clinical trials, which has led or can lead to a culture of distrust. While we can't change the past, there are many steps we can take to do better moving forward. So some things that we can do when our 
when we're developing clinical research studies is that we can include community members within every step of the process. So designing the study and utilizing these community leaders to really communicate with members of that community and to use them to help provide clear descriptions of the study. So what is the study? What will happen? What are the procedures? How will my information be used? And what are the privacy safeguards and HIPAA considerations? So patients really want to know exactly what it is you're doing, why this study design is important, and how will their privacy be protected because of unfortunate situations that have happened in the past. So for our last question, you are a pharmacist who is looking to design a pharmacogenomics research study, including African-American patients to advocate for diversity within the field of genetic medicine. What strategy would you not use to recruit, recruit patients? So our first option, provide a clear description of the study purpose, procedures, and who will be able to access their data and privacy safeguards in place. Engage African-American community members prior to beginning the study and engage them in recruitment design efforts. Clearly describe how patients will be compensated for the study or do not describe how participant data will be used. So we'll just go ahead and go through each answer and explain why one is correct or incorrect. So I was tricky on purpose, I'm sorry. I said, what strategy would you not use to recruit patients? So all of the ones that you would want to use would be incorrect. And then the one that seems like I really shouldn't be doing this would be the correct answer here. So our first option is providing a clear description of the study purpose, procedures, and who will be able to access their data and privacy safeguards in place. So as we just talked about, that is very important when looking to recruit patients in a study. Number two, engage African-American community members prior to beginning the study and engage them in recruitment design efforts. So this is something we would want to do. So really working hand in hand with our community members and our patients to really best understand their perspectives, their needs, their concerns moving forward, so that within that original design process of your study, you're able to tailor it in a way that makes the patients feel more comfortable and trust you and really try to remove the stigma of distrust within clinical research. So number three, clearly describe how patients will be compensated for the study. It depends on if patients are compensated for the study, but if they are going to be, you clearly need to know, they, you clearly need to tell them how much, why, and how this will be done. And then lastly, do not describe how participant data will be used. This is one of the worst things we can do as researchers because that runs the risk of if I don't know how my data will be used, it could potentially be used against me, used in a malicious way, and that can really foster some mistrust. So we definitely want to make sure we are describing how participant data will be used, and that is why D is the correct answer. So to finish us off for our discussion today, what are really the big key takeaways I want everyone to go home with today? So first is really understanding that race and ethnicity are sociological terms, and these do not translate well when we think about true markers of genetic makeup or ancestry. Of the data we currently have now looking at genetics, it is primarily from patients of European as well as some Asian ancestry, anywhere up to 70 to 95%, so primarily, primarily European. However, 
we find that there is significant variation between different populations. So we see different genetic associations, and this highlights the inadequacy to be using a set that works with one population group and try to use it to be an accurate predictor of drug response in all people. And we can see this with variants for warfarin that are relevant, but we see them mostly in patients of African ancestry. If we're not including these in our tests, we're not doing our best to treat those patients. And then lastly, how can we do better moving forward? How can we make it so pharmacogenomics is applicable for all patients? So really, we need more population-specific data, particularly from our patients of African ancestry, as well as other minority groups. So really understanding the initiatives that exist and the importance of having that biobank to draw from when we're making clinical recommendations is crucial. And like I mentioned, if we really want to translate this to the point of care with our patient, we one, need to know the patient specific data that we can use and be able to access that and apply it to our patients. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, subscribe using iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. Thank you for listening to Mayo Clinic Pharmacy Grand Rounds. Join us weekly for more exciting clinical pharmacology topics. Thank you.